Well, this morning we will close our brief tour through the brief book of the book of Jude, or the letter that Jude wrote. Uh, You can find that on page number 1216, and we will read verses 17 through 25. Hear the word of the Lord. Uh, Jude, continuing to write, says, But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, our desire again this morning is our desire every Sunday when we gather here is that you would speak, that your word, that your truth would not only enter our minds, but capture our hearts. Open our eyes that we could see your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as JP pointed out earlier, and as we've seen looking at this book, the main message of the book of Jude is contend for the faith, agonize over this faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. There is one most holy faith, as Jude calls it in our passage this morning. There is one set of beliefs and a way of life that flows from those beliefs that is set apart by God. It's unique. It has the power to save sinners so that we might one day be presented blameless before God in glory. Nothing else will do. Then the main middle section of the book that we looked at last week focuses primarily on the reality of false teachers within the church and the destruction that they bring on themselves and the threat that they are for anyone who comes under their influence. And there Jude wanted us to see why it is necessary to contend for the faith. And now this morning, he's gonna teach us how to contend for the faith how we are to respond to the false teachers among us. And there are four things that he's going to tell us to do. First, we must remember the threat. And then we must remain in God's love. And since we don't wanna be in God's love by ourselves, we must restore one another. And finally, we must revere the God who saves. 
So first, remember the threat. So verses 17 through 19 uh, are in many ways a recap of everything that Jude has already taught us in verses 15 through 16 with one major difference. In uh, verses 15 through, or 5 through 16, Jude was emphasizing with Old Testament examples. And in verse 17, Jude tells us, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles. So now he turns to the New Testament. The apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, they said to you in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. So not only do we have the examples in the Old Testament of the wilderness generation that died because of their unbelief, the fallen angels who refused to accept the position of authority that God placed them in and ended up chained in gloomy darkness under judgment or until judgment. And Sodom and Gomorrah reminding us that sexual immorality deserves eternal fire. But now Jude is reminding us that in addition to the Old Testament, we have the predictions from the apostles that in the last times there will be scoffers. And the New Testament Anytime it talks about last times or last days, it's referring to the church age, that period of time from uh, Jesus's ascension until Jesus returns again, which means Jude was in the last times when he wrote this. We are in the last times now. And so we too can expect scoffers and scoffers are those who mock the truth. They're the kind of people who say things like the cross is cosmic child abuse. They tell us that God wants us to have our best life now and that poverty, sickness, and suffering are here because of our lack of faith. They place themselves in authority and judgment over the scriptures instead of in humility under the scriptures. And Jesus himself warned us, warned us about people like this when he said, watch out for false prophets They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. So they seem tame and timid, but by their scoffing, you will recognize them. In the book of Acts, Jesus is talking to the Ephesian elders and it's the last time he will see them in person. And this is what he says to them. He says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. And then he writes to his protege, Timothy, and says this. Now the spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons. And that's just a small example. I could pull quotes from Romans, from Corinthians, from Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. It's on the front page of 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus from Peter and Jude and the letters from John. All dealing with the threat of false teachers specifically and in great detail. And Jude wants us to remember the threat is real. It's a major threat in the New Testament, which is why Paul tells Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. You see the salvation of God's people depends 
on contending for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And all of this is behind Jude's words when he says, but you must remember beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. The threat is real. Now, you may have heard a a saying that goes something like this. Love unites, but doctrine divides. Have you heard that before? Love unites, but doctrine divides. But Jude says, it is these who cause divisions. Worldly people devoid of the spirits. You see, the truth is what unites us. The truth breeds in our hearts love for God and love for each other. It's false teachers who are causing divisions. They deny the faith once for all delivered to the saints. False teaching takes people who would otherwise enter the kingdom of heaven and prevents them from doing so. And then after these worldly people who are devoid of the spirit, which is just another way of saying they are non-Christians, after they get done teaching their divisive doctrines and causing divisions, they stand back and they blame pastors and theologians for causing the division. They blame those who are contending for the faith for causing the problem. It's like the mistress blaming the wife for making things difficult after the adultery comes to light. It's exactly like that. The pastors who point out the division are not to blame for causing it. They're just pointing it out. But in our day and age, they are made to seem like the ones who are causing division because they care about things like history and grammar and proper definitions. They're painted as power-hungry theology geeks who don't care about the poor. And I can assure you they care about the poor. So yes, It will require some study and some work on your part to see the difference, but your life and the life of those you love could depend on it. But dealing with false teachers is more than just remembering that there will be false teachers and that the threat they pose is real. We must also remain in God's love. In a room like this, I imagine that still, even after being a Christian your whole life, that there are some here. And the hardest thing for you every day is to believe that God loves you. Andrew Peterson has a song called, Is He Worthy? Many of you know the song. There's a a line in the song where he, he asks the question, does the father truly love us? Does the father truly love us? And the answer is, He does. I remember when I first encountered that song, that line just made me cry. It made me cry. Because I live with a fear that the father doesn't truly love me. Because I know how sinful I am. I know how weak I am. I wonder if sometimes you doubt that the father truly loves you that he delights in you, that he dances over you with singing as Zephaniah reminds us. 
So when Jude writes, keep yourselves in the love of God, that can sound like a threat to our ears. Oh no, I better keep myself in the love of God or he'll let me go. As if God looks at us like new employees on probation and if we mess up, we're out. Because it's so easy to live with the fear that God has done with us. It's so easy to forget that we are who Jude reminded us at the beginning of his letter that we are. We are those who've been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. That's who you are, Christian. God has loved you since before the foundation of the world. No matter what Satan accuses you of, he called you to himself. He will never let you go because he's keeping you for his son. So keep yourselves in his love. Don't forget that he is the one who chose you in spite of how sinful you are. He called you. He came and got you. You didn't go and get him. So of course he will keep you all the way to the end for his son. He's promised he will. The idea here is more like telling an engaged woman to keep herself in the love of her fiance. She's in more danger of thinking he doesn't love her than she is of leaving him. And Jude is going to give us some very practical ways to keep ourselves in the love of God. He says, but you beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So keeping ourselves in the love of God requires building ourselves up in the most holy faith. It's most holy because it's the only one that saves It's set apart from all others. It's unique. It's the only message of forgiveness and grace and mercy and peace that there is. And building ourselves up in this holy faith requires learning doctrine. That a man named Jesus died on a Roman cross in the first century is history. That the son of God left heaven and came and died for sinners is doctrine, right? History tells us what happened and doctrine tells us why it happened. And once we understand that Jesus came and died for sinners, there's more questions we have to ask. What is sin? Why did we need to be saved from it? Who is God? What is God? How is it that God has a son? What is that relationship like? What is a human? And in many ways, the most important question of all, how do we know all of this? The answer to every one of those questions is doctrine. And building yourself up in the most holy faith requires knowing the answers and learning the answers to those questions. And do you know what the answers to all those questions will do? They will take you deeper into the love of God than you ever imagined. Somewhere, somehow, Satan convinced an entire generation of Christians that if they learned too much about doctrine, that they would separate their head from their heart. 
But doctrine is the mind showing the heart what there is to care about. If you don't have doctrine, you don't have a heart that loves God because you don't even know who or what you love. But if you have doctrine, you see the God of the universe displayed in all of his beauty and it causes the heart to swell. There is no head-heart distinction. This is why God gave the church pastors and teachers. Paul says God gave the church pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith. Notice, (laughs) the unity of the faith is when the body of Christ is built up together. And he goes on to say what they're built up together in, which is the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Why? So that, it's a purpose statement, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. See, we are built up in the most holy faith for the purpose of being established in doctrine so that we will no longer be blown around by doubt and fear. So that we can be confident that God loves me no matter what I feel today. There should come a time when all of us know our faith so well that we can tell when a teacher is tickling our ears and telling us what our flesh wants to hear or making us doubt God's love for us. The writer of the Hebrew says, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. See, there are foundation laying doctrines, but we can't remain there. We must go on to maturity so that we can remain in God's love and discern truth from error. One thing I've been in this community now for eight plus years One thing I've noticed is there's a tendency to sort of think, well, I went to Christian school. I learned doctrine then. I've learned all I need to know. And then we give up on the rest of our life learning doctrine. The other necessary element for keeping ourselves in the love of God is praying in the spirit. Now, Jude isn't saying that there's a kind of prayer that's outside of the spirit. All prayer takes place in the spirit and through the power of the spirit. What Jude is doing is reminding us that all prayer is in the spirit. And how important prayer is for remaining confident in God's love for us. The Heidelberg Catechism says this, why do Christians need to pray? And the answer is this, because prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness God requires of us. And also because God gives his grace and Holy Spirit only to those who pray continually and groan inwardly, asking God for these gifts and thanking God for them. Prayer is how we remain in a relationship with God. Prayer is how we remain thankful for all of God's promises and gifts for us. Prayer is how we remain dependent on God alone for those promises and gifts. 
And as the catechism says, God gives his grace and Holy Spirit only to those who pray continually and groan inwardly asking for his gifts. We cannot keep ourselves in the love of God without prayer. And finally, we keep ourselves in the love of God by putting our hope in the right thing. Jude says, we are to wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So we must not let anything distract us from waiting and longing and hoping for the day when God's mercy is going to be revealed to us. Sometimes I think about it, right? Like on one hand, we hear, oh yes, God has forgiven me of my sins. I've, I don't deserve forgiveness, but I've received mercy. But on that day of judgment, we're gonna see God as he is. And I think of Isaiah, since everybody's studying Isaiah right now, and when he gets this vision of God, he, he falls down and says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Or that's what the angels are saying. He falls down and says, woe to me. I'm a man of unclean lips, right? We're gonna recognize on that day, the difference between our sin and God's holiness. And when we do, oh, the mercy of God. The fact that he chooses in love for us not to give us what we deserve. The mercy that we know on that day is going to be so deep and so wide and so wonderful. And Jude says, wait for that day. Don't fear judgment. Look forward with joy and expectation to the mercy of God being revealed to you in living color. But if we begin to wait and hope for things of this world, it will become more difficult to keep ourselves in the love of God. But as Christians, we're not just concerned about ourselves remaining in God's love. We are also supposed to restore one another to the love of God as well. So because there are false teachers among us, and because now all any of us needs to do to find false teaching is go onto the internet and ask a spiritual question, and because we live in a society that's relatively wealthy and therefore filled with many wonderful things to hope in besides the revelation of God's mercy, it's really easy to doubt and drift and to find ourselves confused about what is true and to begin waiting for something other than the mercy of Jesus Christ. So not only does Jude want us to be vigilant in keeping ourselves in the love of God, he wants us to keep an eye on each other as well. He says, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. So if someone, whether a believer or an unbeliever, is filled with doubt, and that word doubt could mean to evaluate or to consider. So if someone finds himself evaluating or considering the claims of the gospel, Jude wants us to have mercy on them. We are to be patient and long suffering because we don't know what kind of doubter they are. Some people have true faith or are approaching true faith and their doubts, in their doubts, all they want is to understand. They wanna hear from God, they wanna learn, they wanna grow. While other people are doubting as a cover up for sin. They know they cannot have Christ and their sin. And so they begin to doubt the Bible and the claims of Christ as a way of justifying their sin. 
And if that's the case and, and we find out about it, Jude wants us to snatch them out of the fire. And what does he mean by this? What does he mean, snatch them out of the fire? Well, I'm pretty sure he means exactly what it sounds like he means. If someone has fallen into sin or unbelief, we should treat them as if they're being singed by the flames of eternal judgment. And we should go after them with the same kind of urgency that we would if we were saving somebody out of a burning building. And one of the best parts about building ourselves up in the most holy faith is that we'll be able to recognize when someone's doubts have turned into justification for sin and unbelief. And we will be able to recognize when they've entered that path and the flames are gathering around them. And Jude wants us to respond accordingly. Of course, he wants us to speak the truth in love, right? He still says, have mercy even on these but he doesn't want us to worry about making it awkward. He doesn't want us to be all that concerned about social graces and social etiquette. If someone is in a burning building, we shouldn't worry about giving them their space. Jude wants us to plead with them as dying men to dying men or as a dying man to dying men which might mean we risk losing that relationship in order to tell them the truth. It might mean they will decide not to come home for Christmas that year. It might mean the elders of the church will bar them from participating in the Lord's Supper. It might mean telling them clearly that we no longer regard them as believers. This is how Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians Chapter five, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, not not just so he can feel judged, but so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. The Bible has absolute clarity about truth and error, sin and salvation, heaven and hell. And Jude wants us ready to act as if we're really in the middle of a battle for the souls of men and women. But as we're snatching someone out of the fire, Jude also gives a warning that as we're showing mercy to those who doubt, we must also do so with a healthy dose of fear. Paul puts it this way in Galatians. He says, brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. There's not a single one of us above being tempted. There's not a single one of us who is beyond falling. Anytime we go to snatch someone out of the fire, we must do so in the full awareness of our own weakness. Finally, Jude gives us the attitude we must have toward all sin. He says, we must hate even the garment stained by the flesh. Now that word garment is a word that specifically means underwear or what we would consider to be underwear. And the fact that it's stained by the flesh reminds us that the biggest problem with sin comes from inside of us. Our, I mean, I hate to say it, our underwear does not get stained from the outside. 
So not only should we hate sin, but we should hate everything that gets ruined by sin. As much as the entertainment industry in our country would like us to think otherwise, sin is not funny. It's not cute. It's not something to play with or dabble in. It is dangerous, corrosive, and destructive. Why? Because it can make us forget the love of God. Finally, Jude closes his letter by worshiping God and inviting us also to revere the God who saves. So Jude has just finished urging us to remember the threat of false teachers, to remain in the love God has for us and restore each other to that love if we have to. And now he's gonna give us the motivation we need to do all of that. He says this, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our savior through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. So Jude has just spent most of the letter filling us with urgency. He's helped us see how important it is that we contend for the faith once for all, delivered to the saints how important it is that we build ourselves up in the faith, pray in the spirit, wait for God's mercy, snatch others out of the fire. And now it's almost as if he puts his arm around us and reminds us to stop and just revere this God who saves us. To remember that our salvation is all from him. He is the one who showed us mercy while we were still sinners. He is the one who made peace between us through the blood of Jesus Christ. He is the one who called us out of sin simply because he loves us. And he is the one keeping us for Jesus Christ. If it were not for him, we would still be blind and dead in our sin. And he promises to keep our eyes fixed on him through all of the trials and the tribulations of this life. One thing that, uh, one thing that struck me as I was preparing this sermon is that Jude wants us to believe two things at the same time that don't on the surface seem like they can go together. He wants us to believe that false teaching and sin are very real and they're a threat to our faith and the faith of others. And he wants us to believe that because of God's love for us, we have nothing to fear from that threat. And if he didn't remind us of the very real threat of the false teaching, we would become complacent and we would drift from the love of God. But on the other side, without the confidence that it's ultimately God who's keeping us from stumbling, we might despair because we are too weak and sinful on our own to keep ourselves in the love of God. So we must take seriously the threat of false teaching. We must build ourselves up in the faith, pray in the spirit and keep waiting for his mercy. But we do so motivated, not primarily by fear, but by the fact that God loves us so much that he will never let us go. Paul captures this balance perfectly in Philippians chapter two. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you have already, as you've always obeyed, 
So now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The threat is real. So we must work out our salvation with fear and trembling, but we do so knowing and resting and trusting in the promise of God to work in us, to work and to do for his good pleasure. We can rest assured that no matter what we face in this life, one day we will be presented blameless before the glory of God, dressed in robes of righteousness. One day, one day we will stand in the presence of his glory with great joy. Therefore, he is our only God and savior. We do not and cannot save ourselves. And he saves us through the work of Jesus Christ. At the beginning of the letter, Jude writes, and he tells us that we are kept for Jesus Christ. And now he tells us we are kept through Jesus Christ. God keeps us for his son and he keeps us through his son. The life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit that he gives to us. These are the gifts that he grants his church that we might always look to him and him alone. That we might look to him with the hope of seeing his glory. That we might look to him worshiping him because he's the one who has all glory and dominion. Dominion just means the sphere of his reign. All glory, dominion, and authority. All authority belongs to him before all time, now and forever. Let's pray. Father, we come before you grateful, grateful that you have chosen to love us, that you have promised to keep us for your son, through your son, and that we keep ourselves, Father. We keep ourselves in your love because we have been placed in your love by you. And you've opened our eyes to how great and wonderful that is that we might never take our gaze from you, no matter what this life brings us. Father, give us grace. Give us more grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.